This is Time Management Insider, a show where we share way too much information about meal planning and time management for inside the home. Hey there, I'm Christine Pittman, and today we are talking about quick breads. So this show is about time management for inside the home, and I like to find all of my favorite food topics and figure out ways that I can make them work within that theme. And quick breads, well, of course, they're quick, so that is a time saver, right? But more importantly, I have Irvin Lynn, the cookbook author and the blogger behind Eat the Love. I know you love him. He's so wonderful. He is on today talking about quick breads, about special tips to make your quick breads be perfect, and about some recipes that he has done for one of my sites, The Cookful, that are all quick bread recipes. And my thinking on this is really, if you're going to spend the time baking something, if you're going to make something from scratch for yourself, for your family, for your loved ones, you want it to turn out. And if it doesn't turn out, that has been a waste of your time. And so when I bring on cookbook authors and chefs to talk about their recipes, their cookbooks, their techniques, what I'm hoping is that we're all learning who some trusted resources are that we can go to for having, you know, fail-safe recipes and for how to find these things. And Irvin is a great source for wonderful recipes. And definitely the quick bread recipes that he's done for the cookful are amazing. They are so packed full of tips. And I've made the banana bread so far. And I can tell you, it is the best banana bread that I've ever made. It's so wonderful. So we're going to be talking to Irvin. And then at the end of the show, I am back with a fun day-themed meal plan for you. You know, Meatless Monday, Tex-Mex Tuesday, Wake Up Wednesday. The reason I did this theme is really because I wanted to work Irvin's Drop Biscuit recipe into the meal plan. And so Wake Up Wednesday, Breakfast on Wednesday, the Drop Biscuits, that worked out perfectly. So there's a nice meal plan with a bunch of themed days at the end of this show. Okay, let's talk to Irvin. I believe it that I will achieve it, but how will I know if I never try? I believe it that I will achieve it, but how will I know if I never try? It takes one step at Hey Irvin, how's it going? Hey there. Not bad. How are you? I'm great. I just saw a tweet from you that you have been chosen as a super judge for <laughs> it's the International Association of Culinary Professionals cookbook contest, right? Yes. Yes, I was. So the IACP, the International Association of Culinary Professionals, is a big organization and they do, you know, the Oscars of cookbooks, basically, mm-hmm. where they do um, categories of cookbooks and they give awards. And last year, I was a judge for a specific category. And this year, they've asked me to be part of the executive committee on the board itself. So basically, I'm what they call a super judge. (laughs) That's so Uh, exciting. And and the super judge, basically, I am overseeing three different categories. And I'm not testing, but I'm kind of like working with the actual judges themselves in terms of selecting recipes, helping them answer questions, kind of hurting cats and certain, you know, the judge being the cats. And then at the very end, I get to pick with the other committee members, the book of the month, the book of the year. 
Book so we actually year. picked like the big like cookbook of the year awards. So. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. And uh, anybody who doesn't know, like these are like, these are like the Oscars of the cookbook award. Like it's, you know, there's like James Beard awards and there's the IACP awards and yes. that, that is sort of where it's at. That is so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. It'll yeah. be fun. So you are a recipe developer and you have Eat the Love, the blog and a cookbook. I want to know how you got started in all of this way back when in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to shorten it. I have a training in graphic design and art direction. Actually, I have a training in painting, but I was a graphic designer and art director at an agency. Yeah, I've been doing it for 15 years. And the agency I was at, mostly their clients were mostly food. And I got very excited when I got this job. I was like, I love food and I love design. So I thought it was the perfect marriage of the two. But after a while, I realized when I got to the got the job and was working there, I realized that a large chunk of the work that I was doing was for clients that a lot of fast food clients mm. and not that I have anything against fast food, but it just wasn't the type of food that I ate a lot of. Mm-hmm. And at one point I was designing a project and I had this kind of epiphany that I was designing the actual burger boxes and bags and French fry containers and stuff, oh, yeah. which sounds super cool. But I also realized that I was literally designing trash. Like it was stuff that people were throwing away. Like oh. this is not stuff that was like a beautiful like design piece that would sit on a shelf. It was like I'm designing something and people were like going to wad it up. It get greasy, wad it up and throw it in the trash. Right. So I was literally designing garbage, which was really soul crushing. Mm-hmm. And I was coming home very depressed and binge watching like TV, like, and a friend of mine gave me a piece of advice. It was like, why don't you find a, another project and, and this, and find a project, but do something that you love, find a passion project. And so I decided to write my blog, my blog. I started my, my eat the love blog. And that was in 2010. Oh, yeah. And then about a year after I started it, I found myself like totally in, immersed in it and engaged with it. And I basically quit my day job and I wow. went freelance. And at the time, I was doing a lot of free, I was like 95% freelance design and 5% food. And now, you know, 12 years later, I've since flipped and I almost, I do almost no design anymore. I occasionally, an old client or a friend of mine will ask me to do design, but everything else is food related now. Mm -hmm. And you, you, I mean, you have a cookbook out. You got a a real legitimate publisher cookbook deal. You won some awards too early on. You, you, you've had an amazing career in this blogging world. Can you tell (laughs) us a little bit about that? Sure. So my cookbook came out in 2016. It was published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. It was picked by the New York Times as one of the best baking cookbooks of 2016 um, by Melissa Clark, which is really amazing. Previous to that, my book, my blog was nominated for a best recipe blog, best food blog at ICP mm-hmm. in 2017. Mm-hmm. I think Savor Magazine picked it in 2011 to be nominated as one of the best baking blogs. Mm-hmm. PBS Food picked it up as one of the best baking blogs in 2013 or best food blogs 20, 2011. I can't remember. So it was, you know, it was a lot of it was just sort of like this piecemeal of just, you know, snowballing. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it's, I've gotten some recognition here and there. It's, it's yeah. been really, really great. It's well well deserved. And your photography is so beautiful. It's really, oh, thank really you. lovely. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to have you on to talk about today is you just did a series on quick breads for the cookful. So one of my websites, and we we wanted you to come do it because you have so much expertise in baking. And I always think that like quick breads, they're quick and they're easy, but there's like little things that we can 
do differently or know to do that make a huge difference. And in terms of, you know, when we're going to choose a recipe, as I was saying kind of about the cookbooks, you're going to choose a recipe to make. You want it to work because that's your time and your money and your ingredients. And so I love that you did this series because I know these recipes are going to work. I've made the banana bread so far and it is the best banana bread I've ever made for <laughs> sure. It, it was beautiful too. It just looked so great. So I was hoping you could tell us a few of your favorite tips for making successful quick breads. Okay. So one of my biggest tips that I always tell people is to not over mix. Mm-hmm. I think with quick breads, one of the biggest things that you want to do is because you want them to be tender. And the more you mix the batter, the more it tends to be kind of a tough batter. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell people to kind of like fold and, and like add in the, the dry ingredients and stir just until you see kind of like uh, most of it absorbed, the dry ingredients absorbed. And if there's a little bit of pockets here and there, that's fine. Because as you pour the batter into the loaf pan or the muffin tin or whatever, you're still going to be stirring it up just a little bit to try mm-hmm. to pour it in. And that also kind of will absorb the stuff. So mm-hmm. and then as it actually bakes, it absorbs as well. So it's just kind of like doing that is just a nice, it's a little, it's, it's kind of like what elevates it from just like a standard, like kind of dense muffin or loaf to mm-hmm. like a little bit lighter, a little fluffier, a little moister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great tip. I think we often, we're so used to, you know, the instructions on recipes saying mix well, and, yeah. and you want it to be, you want to make sure that everything is fully combined. And I guess this is why a lot of quick bread recipes have you mix your dry ingredients first so that you know that those are fully blended before they go into the, before you mix them to the wet ingredients, right? So that you're not, yeah. so you know that that blend has already happened. Yeah, yeah, totally. And the other thing that I also do is sometimes, especially when there's inclusions, like when you're doing a, a uh, like a blueberry muffin, for instance, mm-hmm. and you're adding the fruit in, like I'll even tell you, like like mix like partially because once you add the blueberries, you're going to be mixing it more. Right. So that is like you know you can kind of like mix halfway and you feel like it's you're not done yet. But you're like that's okay because you'll be doing you'll be doing more mixing or stirring or folding to mm-hmm. get the fruit in or chocolate chips or cranberries or whatever you're adding into there, like the dried fruit. Like you just want to kind of like just do it enough that you get everything kind of like mostly mixed. So, yes. So you're bringing up those additions. And I remember reading in some of your recipes, you had some tips for not having those things sink to the bottom. Right. So we often like you get a blueberry muffin and all the blueberries are at the bottom and the top is just plain muffin. Do you remember (laughs) what the tips for that were? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I can't. So I think that recipe in particular, I... I have to I have to go back and look at that recipe, but I think there are a couple of things you can do with that, and it depends. I think that recipe itself, the batter is fairly thick. Like I designed the batter to be a little thicker, mm-hmm. so that the bat so so that the blueberries don't drop to the to the bottom. But what, sometimes when you have a thinner batter, what I will do is I will actually add a little bit of like if I'm making a, a muffin that has a blueberry muffin with a thinner batter, I'll actually use some plain batter. In, and I'll spoon that into the tin itself. And then I will add the blueberries to the remaining batter and mix it up and then put that. So then you have a little cushion in the, the bottom yeah. of the muffin. So if it does end up sinking a little bit, it'll kind of sink into that cushion. So I've done that in the past mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I kind of judge the batter itself, whether or not it's super thick or if it's thin. If I if it's thicker, then I feel like it's not as much much of an issue. Mm-hmm. No, that I like that. So what, what else do we need to know about making quick bread successfully? Well, with all baking, I do think that the best thing to pay attention to is preheating your oven and to make sure your oven temperature is correct. Oh, yeah. I feel a lot of people tend to be like, 
my, you know, my, it doesn't, it's taking forever for it to cook or like it burns outside burns and the inside was raw. And if you know your, like if you have an oven thermometer and you know how your oven works, that will solve a huge amount of problems. I sometimes suggest if you get a new oven or you're not sure about your oven to get like, just buy a a cheap loaf of like white bread at the grocery store and put it on a baking sheet, like just kind of pull a tiling of like a baking sheet and fill it up with bread, stick it in the oven at 350 for 10 minutes and see what toasts. Mm -hmm. So the darker areas are where your your hot spots are and the lighty areas are where your like, you know, cooler spots are in your oven. And that gives you a sense of, you know, you haven't wasted a huge amount of food and Mm -hmm. gives you a sense of what your oven is like. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is definitely ch- because quick breads rely on chemical leavening, which is baking soda and baking powder, mm-hmm. to check those to make sure that these, those work. So if you've got really old baking soda or really old baking powder, you're not going to have as much lift and oomph. Mm. And that leads to like a flat, dense quick bread. Is there a way to test those? I know I test yeah. yeast by like you put it in some water and make sure it foams. Can you test your baking soda? Yeah, baking yeah. Powder? So with baking soda, you baking soda, add a little vinegar to it. So if it foams, that mm-hmm. will give it like the, um, then you know it's working. And if it doesn't foam, then you need to get new baking soda. Mm-hmm. And with baking powder, uh, if you add uh, boiling water to it, boiling water, if it foams and bubbles up and stuff, then mm. you, or hot water, but you know, mostly boiling water, that that will do it too, because baking powder has, is activated by heat. Along yeah, with that's it. right. So baking soda is activated by acid, acid and then yes. baking powder is activated by heat. Yes, oh, okay. baking powder has acid already added into baking into it. Okay. Baking soda does not. Oh, gotcha. I like that. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so I want to go back. You were talking about testing your oven temperature. And this is one of my, I don't know if I want to call it a pet peeve, but like one of my like hugest things. I have an oven thermometer in, I have two ovens. There's one in each oven and I check it all the time. And it's just, it's yeah. very cheap. They're like $5 or something. They sit yeah. inside the oven and tell you the actual temperature inside of the oven. But I end up, you know, I get, I have lots of people visiting my websites and they'll comment sometimes that this is taking too long and or this is you know like you were saying and i am i am almost always positive that their oven temperature is not correct because i know that mine is correct because i'm testing the recipes and i have that thermometer in there do you get that kind of feedback on your site a lot too where you're just like oh everybody just get oven thermometers i do but i also like i you know baking there's so many variables and Mm. so i'm oftentimes like i i do troubleshoot and i do want to like like you know like please get an oven thermometer you know like please get a kitchen scale it'll make your life so much easier like and faster and quicker and more efficient like stuff like that but i also realize at the end of the day people are people and so i try to give you know i always try to give a range of baking times so Mm -hmm. like anywhere Mm -hmm. between 55 to 65 minutes make sure that it's like you know a golden brown on the edges or like you know insert a skewer in the middle and make sure it's clean and if you have like the for me the easiest and best way to check if a if a bread a quick bread specifically is done is i use a thermopan i use an instant read thermometer and i'll just make sure the inside is internal temperature of like 200 degrees 200 to 205 degrees and then i know it's completely done because if it's not done it'll look beautiful and then like half an hour later it'll kind of like sink in the middle and you know if it sinks in the middle that's kind of like it's been a little it's a little underdone 
That is, so, I've never used that for, I use my instant read thermometer yeah. for cooking meat all the time, but I've never used yeah. it for baking. That's amazing. I, I use it all the time for baking because then I know it's perfectly, like it's done. Like if you hit 200 degrees in the middle, then you're good with quick breads. Oh, so that is yeah. a, an amazing, amazing tip. Now I want to ask you too, you briefly mentioned a kitchen scale. And I think I remember <laughs> the recipes for this series had both weights and volume measures is that probably it? yeah and yeah i think i added weights to those i'm not 100 sure but yeah and, and is that something that you typically like recommend people whether the weights are there or not that they use a, a like a weight for flour instead of a volume measure or does it not matter uh, it does matter i think it it it's kind of like i feel like this is like the third rail of baking people tend to be very dicey about this so Yes, it does matter. Uh, weight and scale, uh, like a, a kitchen scale definitely helps. And so much easier for me when I'm baking. Like it's t- you're talking about time management. Like if I'm using a kitchen scale, I put the bowl on the scale, I tear it, which means I put it to zero. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, take a scoop. I scoop out the flour and I know I'm getting exactly like 140 grams for me is a cup. So that's 140 grams. And then I hit the scale, you know, the tear again. And then I get 200 grams of sugar and that's one cup as well. So I'm not like using different cups. I'm not, I have one bowl. I, all I need to do is rinse off my, my scoop and that's it. Like I don't have to do dishes. And so for, and you know, like that type of thing is like really like that's fast for me. And as somebody who does this, you know, does stuff in the the kitchen and constantly like baking and stuff, I want to have as, I don't have it. I live in a tiny little one bedroom apartment in San Francisco I do not have a dishwasher. And so everything I do, I have to hand wash. And so people always talk about, it's so great that you, you're, it's amazing that you wrote a cookbook. I'm like, no, I was like, what's amazing is I wrote that cookbook without a dishwasher. Like I had so many dishes. (laughs) Like that was madness. Oh, I Um, love that. So, so you're saying not only does weighing the ingredients make them kind of more precise and make the finished product better, but it also saves you time. Yes, absolutely. So the caveat and the reason why I say it's a little controversial is there are people who weigh their flour differently. So there's no standard weight for a cup of flour, for instance. And flour is the most problematic because mm-hmm. it's so fluffy and like light. Mm-hmm. And so you can pack in flour. Uh, and so a, a cup of flour can range anywhere from 120 grams to 160 grams. Oh, wow. So if you think about it, that's a 40 gram difference, which is really huge. And once you multiply that with two to three cups of flour, you're going up to 80 to 120 grams of flour. That's going to be an extra one cup of flour, depending on how you weigh it. Right. So some people weigh it differently, and that's the issue because, like, how you were trained in terms of baking could be some people, like, fluff up the flour in the bag and then will spoon it into the cup and then level it off. Mm -hmm. And then some people will just dip the cup into the bag itself, which compacts it more, and then level it off. And so you have different levels of what's fluffy and and how people measure, for instance. And, you know, even, like, professional websites aren't consistent. So Mm -hmm. King Arthur flour... A cup of flour is 120 grams. Okay. Cooks Illustrated and America's Test Kitchen, a cup of flour is 142 grams. So it's a, it's like, you know, 22 grams difference. And the reason why is because with King Arthur, they expect you to spoon it into the cup and level it off, which does not pack it down. While America's Test Kitchen assumes that most Americans and most people will just scoop directly out of the cup mm-hmm. or out of the bat because that's like a really convenient thing to do. So mm-hmm. they'll scoop it out and then level it off and that compacts it more. And so you get a little bit more flour. So uh, all my recipes are designed in what I think most people do is, which is the American test kitchen way is just kind of scooping it out and leveling it off. I love that. I, th- I think that is a great way to write recipes for the 
most likely people who are going to be making your recipe. (laughs) I love that. So Urban, I want to hear, I know you have something fairly exciting coming up that is a little bit different. Can you tell us about the ceramics? Yes. Yes. So all the pieces that you see on the series that I did for your site, all the photography, all the pieces are, are photographed. All the food is photographed on my ceramics. And when I say my ceramics, they're pieces that I actually made in the ceramic studio. So I am kind of a ceramic artist potter that I've been doing it for the past six years. And it started kind of as a fluky thing when I, I had some history. I have a degree in painting. I think I mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And then I did ceramics back in high school. And then I hadn't touched ceramics or, or clay for years. And about six years ago, I decided that I was tired of buying props for my photography and I'll just make my own props. Like how difficult can it be? They're so expensive. (laughs) And then I took a class and I realized that ceramics is actually really difficult. And now I understand why they're so expensive. And I look at these pieces now that people are selling. I'm like, how can they be selling them so cheap? It's (laughs) ridiculous because a lot of work goes into ceramics. But I fell in love again with doing clay. I'd forgotten how much I loved it. And so six years later, I am doing ceramics now. I'm mostly making work for my own photography. I do occasionally take commissions from food styling friends and and other people in the industry. I'm hoping, uh, fingers crossed, that 2022 will be the year that I actually start selling my ceramics to other stylists and food bloggers and the general public. I'm not 100% sure that's going to happen, but that is the goal for 2022 for me. Along with other things. I, I love that. And yes, I do. The The ceramics that you used in the series are really stunning. It's very like a warm and homey quality to them while also while, without being clunky. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to go for with them. They're a little bit rustic, but not like too mm-hmm. rustic. And, and I really try to create like I can do work that is more like stunningly like this is a statement piece but i was trying to really create some work that like let the food shine more so i have like two different like kind of aesthetics where my stuff i really like when i design my work a lot of my work is is really designed to focus on the elevating the food itself and that's so important i i mean i am i am not anywhere near the food photographer that you are but i know that one of the things i learned early on was some of the things that i thought were the coolest most beautiful pieces are terrible for food photography because they completely (laughs) distract. You're like, what is that thing? Oh, that's a weird spoon in the background. Why is that spoon shaped like that? Instead of like, this is a bowl of soup. Like, (laughs) (laughs) totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. So where can people, if if they're interested in seeing your ceramics and maybe finding out when you've got it for sale, where can people go for that? Yeah, yeah. So I um, currently have an Instagram account. So uh, so my regular Instagram account, my food account is just eat the love, just like my blog. But I have a ceramics account called eat the love dot ceramics. And if you go to eat the love, there's a link on my bio that bounces you to eat the love dot ceramics. But there and if you go to that Instagram account, there is a link right there that will bounce you to a form that you can sign up for a mailing list. And once I actually start producing work that I can sell to the public, I will send out a big mass email to everybody saying like, hey, shop's open or I actually have I'm actually selling stuff now or blah, blah, blah. But otherwise, they can follow me there and DM me and reach out to me on Instagram. And I occasionally do take commissioned work. Okay, that's great. And of course, also the regular Eat the Love account, if you want to see what you've been cooking is there. And why don't you just quickly tell us about your cookbook before we sign off? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So my cookbook was called Marble Sword and Laird. It was sort of an exploration of recipes, baking recipes that kind of combine flavors and textures and colors. And it's 
it's always been a fascination of mine of trying to figure out how to make these kind of innovative and really interesting flavors, combinations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I love combining flavors. It's one of my big things. So yeah, the cookbook is just, it was a great experience. It was a wonderful cookbook. It was very challenging and ambitious for our first time cookbook. <laughs> um, it was a lot of work, but it was, it was great. Yeah. So it is available. You can get it at any outlet. Amazon has it. Any independent bookstore can order it for you. So it's out there. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much, Irvin. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Isn't Irvin fantastic? And he's just so accomplished, right? I'm really excited to see what cookbooks they end up choosing in the IACP cookbook contest. I'm also really excited to see the ceramics that he puts up for sale Definitely make sure that you follow him on Instagram and get on that newsletter so that when he starts releasing them, you can maybe consider getting a piece or two. I think for those of us who do like Instagram photos of our own food at home and that kind of thing, having really nice ceramics is a wonderful place to make those pictures even better. Okay, let us dive into the meal plan for this week. Like I said, it's a day themed meal plan. We've got Meatless Monday, Tex-Mex Tuesday, Wake Up Wednesday, Throwback Thursday, and Fancy Friday. And I'm going to run through all those recipes for you in a moment just to let you know where you can find this meal plan. So if you want to have the written version of the instructions that I'm giving about what to do on what days, as well as the links to the recipes that I'm talking about and a printed grocery list to go with it, you're going to head to cookthestory.com slash meal plans and then click on meal plan number 76. And you will see it there. And yes, we have 76 of these meal plans. There are tons of different ones. They are all designed so that the grocery list is relatively short because the different dishes that are being made use some of the same ingredients while at the same time having a lot of variety. I don't want you to get bored. So every day there's something different. It's just using some of the same ingredients. That's the idea behind that. So cookthestory.com slash meal plans and you want number 76. Okay, let's jump in. On the first day of this meal plan, you're doing a summer minestrone soup. So it's summery, I think, because it has zucchini and summer squash in it. And then the protein is cannellini beans. Remember, this is the meatless Monday dinner. And it's got some pesto in there. It's really full of flavor. It is one of those 15-minute soups that I rave about all the time, ready from start to finish, chopping and everything in under 15 minutes. So you're just going to get through that really quickly. And then I am recommending that you serve that with those frozen buns that I talk about all the time. Le Petit Baguette are the brand that I really like. They go in the air fryer for seven and a half minutes at 360 Fahrenheit and they are perfect. Everybody in my house really loves them or whatever bread you want to have. That would be fine too. Okay, day two of this meal plan, Tex-Mex Tuesday. We are doing sweet potato quesadillas. Now I'll tell you, when I first heard about these, I thought they sound a little bit weird. It was a recipe that I photo for Healthy Family Project a long time ago, and I'm not a huge sweet potato fan, so I wasn't really sure about putting them in quesadillas, but they're that orange mashed orange stuff right beside the cheese in the quesadilla kind of ends up making it seem like there's twice as much cheese in there than there is. It's really hearty and meaty seeming, really wonderful. There's black beans, cheese, the sweet potato, and then you're doing them in a skillet. I have instructions in the blog post for that one for how to do them in the oven if you want to do them all at the same time. So that's really handy also. So your sweet potato quesadillas and you're going to have that with a spinach salad with fresh baby spinach leaves, sliced cucumbers, and bell pepper. Then day three of this meal plan, wake up Wednesday. This was my excuse to use those drop biscuits. 
Irvin's recipe looks fantastic. I can't wait to try it. I want you to try it too. And we are going to have that with some breakfast stuffed peppers. So these are pepper halves that you fill with a mixture of scrambled eggs and kale, a little bit of cheese, a little bit of tomato. I think there's a little onion in there too. And then you bake that scrambled egg mixture inside of the stuffed pepper. It's really fun. And you're going to have the drop biscuits on the side with that. Then Thursday is throwback Thursday and you're doing a sheet pan shrimp boil. Classic shrimp boil, but with a little twist because it's all done on a sheet pan instead of in a pot that's boiling. It really comes together very easily. You're gonna have some of those leftover drop biscuits because of course you are. It goes really well with that shrimp boil feel, right? And then just a note that you're gonna do the potatoes for the sheet pan boil on a separate pan so that you can do twice as many of them because on the final day of this meal plan, Fancy Friday, you are gonna have some leftover of those potatoes, but smashed. So you're actually like taking the cooked potato and then using the bottom of a cup to push down on it and kind of smash it. And then you put some oil and salt and pepper on them and bake them and they get all crispy. So you're baking the potatoes, just the small red potatoes on the first day. And then on the next day, you're smashing them down and getting them crispy. And you're gonna have that with some creamy stuffed salmon. So it's really simple recipe. You're taking these salmon fillets and you cut a little pocket in them. Then you fill it with a cream cheese and spinach mixture, and then you bake them and they, they just are really, really lovely. And then you put some fresh baby spinach leaves on a plate and then you serve the spinach on top and that spinach underneath wilts a little bit. Some of it stays nice and fresh and crunchy. And then you have those smashed potatoes on the side. Just perfect. What a delicious week. I really want to have this meal plan right now. Okay, that is our meal plan for the week. And that is our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying this show, I have a favor to ask of you. Could you tell a friend or even tell two friends? If you have somebody who is doing a lot of housework and cooking, loves food, wants to streamline their house life, please tell them about this show. I'd really appreciate it. I want to say thank you to Irvin Lynn for being such a wonderful guest. Please check out his site, Eat the Love, his cookbook, his ceramics, his Instagram, all of that. So wonderful. Thank you to Caroline Hall and her team at Wild Home Podcasting for producing this episode. And as always, thank you to Audio Snack for all the great music. Have a wonderful week.